I would pick it up, throw its back legs over my shoulder, and I would drag it through the snow to this little cabin. And there, I'd hang it up between a couple of trees, cut it open, drain it, dress it. And then I'd take my big hunting knife, and I'd cut this loin right out of the side. And I'd go into the cabin, and there'd be this woman waiting for me, standing by one of those old stoves with a big black pipe. And I'd hand it to her, and she'd put it in a cast iron skillet. And then I'd sit at the table, and she'd bring it to me. And I'd wipe my knife on my knee, and then I would eat it while she watches. That would be wonderful. Hello everybody. I'm Mike Levito. And I'm Kathleen Levito. And you're listening to A Thing Like That, a podcast about Mad Men. This is the first one we've recorded in a while. Um, Our mother's very disappointed in us. Yes, she is, because she's she's almost done with watching that. And she's so, been hardcore binging. Yeah, yeah, so... Uh, Glad, glad to get back on it to discuss Season 1, Episode 7, Red in the Face. Directed by Tim Hunter, written by Bridget Bedard. Kathleen, what are your thoughts on this episode? I like this episode a lot. Um, I need to wait for your summary. <laughs> because I, man, we watched it a while ago. Yeah, like two I, weeks ago. I forgot my notebook. Mm-hmm. But um, watching this episode over, I... This was one of the ones I remembered from the first season that, like, really struck me as, like, this is interesting and cool. It's funny, though, because I thought that, like, the things that happened in it happened in, like, three different episodes. Yeah, yeah. So, which I think goes to show kind of how much they put into this or how many distinct scenes um, and memorable scenes they put in. And I think possibly, like, there's a lot of Roger in this episode, and he's my favorite character. Um, And I think this is when we first really start, like engaging with Roger. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you get to, like, you see more of him and who he is and his dynamic and his family and all of this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, so, I, I like this one. Yeah, he's not in a lot of the earlier episodes, like the first six episodes. Yeah. He's actually not in them that much. But this is, I think, the first where you get a lot of Roger development. Yeah. Um, and it's also just really funny. Like, yeah, This is one of the funny. funnier episodes. Um, Matt Zoller cites and. uh, Madman Carousel. He he just he calls it like it's basically a farce. Like this yeah. is basically like an old fashioned like sixties farce. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of fun, um, but also like a lot of sort of dramatic and and sort of almost depressing stuff happens. <laughs> and I think that's what I like about it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. like it's a lot of fun, mm-hmm. but it's not frivolous fun. Right, right. It's like you. There's a lot that you get to. Mm-hmm observe and um i was gonna say notice which is the same thing as observing um but you get there's a lot of different themes that you can play with because we discussed the theme of this one quite a bit Uh trying to whittle down like what exactly we felt was going on Mm um so there's a yeah there's i feel like this one was the most that i feel like i had to say about and like i walked away from this episode out of the six others that we've watched so far with the most impact and the most like 
I don't want to be like, I can see myself in the episode because I don't want to be these characters experiencing these things. But I think it was the most so far relatable Mm -hmm. to um, present day where I feel like I'm just going to go off on a rant right now. Like the, uh, a lot of the other episodes when we were exploring the themes of those, it was about a lot of um, kind of like societal expectations and stuff like that. And because this show takes place in the 60s, it was kind of built in the 60s societal expectations and that kind of thing. And, like, definitely some of that has still lingered in. And this one deals with that, too. Some of that stuff has still lingered into our time now. Um, But it was, you were seeing it from, like, this kind of alien lens. This has similar, very, like, antiquated themes in terms of who these characters are trying to be. But I think it's... The premise is something that I've seen people do a lot of, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, um, not not to give the, the theme of the episode away, but, like, I think this deals a lot with... The show does a lot of gender roles in general, but I think this in particular does a lot of sort of, like, masculinity. Yeah. And um, living up to masculine expectations, which is something we've talked about before, and it feels sort of increasingly relevant. And, and it deals with, I think, characters who are sort of dissatisfied um, either because they're too old or they're too young um, and I think that's a pretty relatable thing yeah. no matter what no matter what year it is and no matter what yeah. side of that spectrum you are um, alright let's talk about what actually happened in this episode yeah. a quick little synopsis begins with Don calling Dr. Wayne Betty's psychologist where Dr. Wayne just kind of talks about what happened and he describes uh, Betty as uh, a overwhelmed by everyday tasks and consumed by petty jealousies. In other words, she has the emotions of a child. Which there, is a scary thing to hear about your significant it other. It is. Yes, and it's also... I. When I had first seen this, like I was kind of like, this is like a crappy thing for her therapist to do. Mm-hmm. It's kind of my initial reaction, but like having seen the rest of the siege, you're kind of like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um... Yes, so the Nixon boys are coming for an important meeting at Sterling Cooper um, later that week, and, and what's his name? Cooper talks to Sterling a bit about it, while Sterling drinks vodka in his milk and smokes a bunch, much to Cooper's chagrin. Um, but it's Friday night, everyone else is going out, um, and Roger's family is out of town with his mother-in-law, who's fallen down the stairs. He tries to get Joan to stay with him over the weekend while his family's out of town, but he is turned down. So Roger cajoles Don into going out for a drink with him. They go out for a drink, and eventually Roger convinces Don to bring him home for dinner. They go home to dinner, much to Betty's chagrin, because she's only made dinner for two people. Um, but they have sort of a good time at the dinner table. Roger tells some more stories about World War II, um, but later on he does end up making a pass at Betty while Don goes to the garage to get more vodka. Um, Don comes in, notices something is off, and after Roger leaves, blames Betty for, quote, throwing herself at Roger, and says, sometimes I feel like I'm living with a little girl. The next day, Pete brings a chip and dip to work, and he gets teased for it. He's going to return this wedding gift for his wife, a department store. Um, that same sort of day, Roger tries to drink with Don to apologize about hitting on Betty, but Don pretends like he has no idea what he's talking about. Pete does go to return the chip and dip, and he runs into an old college friend there while he's waiting online with a bunch of women. Um, Pete ends up getting store credit for the $22 chip and dip, which he uses to buy a 22 caliber rifle. Um, she brings to the office and kind of shows off the names of people. 
uh, later that day in a meeting, you know, brainstorming for the Nixon campaign, Pete compares Kennedy to Elvis, but is brushed off by Cooper, um, who actually says, remind me not to hire any more young people. Uh, later that night, Don shares a tense meal with Betty, and Pete gets chastised by Trudy for buying a gun. Betty, the next day, there's a lot of days covered in this episode, <laughs> sees Helen Bishop at the grocery store, and Helen chastises Betty about forgiving Glenn a lock of her hair. Betty slaps Helen, uh, and then leaves, caught in a bit of a scene at the supermarket. Later that day, Betty is day drinking when Francine shows up, and they talk about the slap, but he's really talking about giving Glenn her hair. Betty says she enjoys male attention, that makes her feel like she's in her keep, and Francine agrees. Pete brings the gun to work the next day, because it's not allowed in the house, and Pre Peggy brings him a, brings him copy to review. She started work as a copywriter. Um, he doesn't really care much about the copy, though. He just kind of talks about this fantasy he has about owning a cabin and going hunting and getting a deer. <laughs> it's a um, weird fantasy. Which is weird, but it gets Peggy pretty aroused. And she sort of gets up all flushed and goes to the lunch cart to go and buy something to eat. She gets a ham sandwich and a cherry danish. Hmm, that sure seemed like a lot of food. <laughs> this is suspicious. Yes, the same time we see Pete bring the gun to work out of the elevator, we see Don slip into the elevator and slip Hollis, the elevator operator, a couple of bucks. Later, next time we see Don, he and Roger are at, are at lunch, where they're chowing down on oysters, cheesecake, and martinis. They're completely slosh and completely stuffed, but they get back, and the elevator is quote-unquote hot operating. <laughs> which means that they have to go up 22 flights of, 23 flights of stairs rather to make their meeting with the Nixon campaign. Um, Roger struggles mightily the whole way up, but he refuses Don help and actually pretends to drop his tie clip at one point to take a breather. Um, eventually, they do get to the Sterling Cooper offices where they meet the Nixon team. Roger comes trailing in after Don, and he pukes all over the floor. So, Kathleen, what's the theme of this episode? Immaturity. Why? Um... It's a lot of just petty action. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of childish behavior. It's looking for attention in ways that aren't aren't mature, mm -hmm. <laughs> or ways that are very like just attention seeking. Yeah. Um, for attention's sake, basically, um, we see Betty, who was who was literally called the child. Um, we see um, what is his name, Pete, like buy a rifle to appear cool mm -hmm. um we see uh roger you know hitting on someone else's wife and then um yeah and and like don playing this like prank on roger to get back at him for that mm -hmm. which is making the elevator quote unquote stop working yeah um yeah there's just a lot of pettiness it's good stuff yeah it's interesting because the, the way I view it, it's really about the immaturity, I think, mainly of three characters, which is Betty, Roger, and Pete. Yeah. Um, and Roger is an old man who wishes he was young. Pete is a young man who wishes he was taken as seriously as older men. And Betty, I don't think, realizes how young she acts. And mm -hmm. as a 27-year-old with two kids, I think, um, you know, by modern standards, she's young. Yeah. By standards back then, she's certainly not at all. Um and so seeing them sort of struggle with this and react to this in different ways is really makes up the core of the episode. Very early on in the episode, when Roger goes to tell, like, ask Don if he wants to go get a drink, Pete kind of butts in um, and asks, you know, oh, where are we going? And, like, and they, they, they brush him off a lot, right? Like, he's, even though of all the younger guys, he's married, right? Yeah. He's still, he, he's at once almost 
too mature because he wants to take the chip and dip. Um, he wants to do something nice for his wife, which he gets teased at by yeah. all the men in the office, right? He's almost too mature for the younger guys, and he's still too immature for the older guys. So yeah. He really doesn't know where he stands. And the way the, the rifle plays in is that when he goes to return the chip and dip, he's the only man in line there. Um, and his friend, Ma- Matherton, I think it's Matherton, or Matherson, um, let, let me control that. Yes, Matherton comes, and he's, you know, he's this, this, this tall, handsome guy. He's got a tennis racket. He's getting really strong, and he's hitting on the lady behind the desk. Um, all this cool stuff, and Pete feels emasculated. So to feel like a man, he, he buys a twenty-two caliber rifle, which is like, I can shoot things, I'm a man, is kind of an immature thing. And, you know, he's... He's, he's searching for glory, right? And the irony is that Roger's someone who's attained glory. He has these all these great stories of World War II, and it's implied that he actually earned a medal from it. Um, but that's not enough for him. Mm-hmm. He, um, you know, he, he, he still lusts after youth. When, when they're at the bar, these, these two women kind of make eyes at both Don and Roger, and Roger's like, oh, you know, they're so hot, basically. He's like, you know, something happened to women. Like, once they turn 30, they lose some kind of a spark. They're really all looking at Don, who's probably about 10 years younger than Roger anyway, um, which upsets Roger a lot. Yeah. Um, and so him... More than 10 years. 15, 20. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, World War II was the 40s. Korean War was the 50s. is 10 years-ish. It's not, like, one-to-one, but... Yeah. Uh, no, I guess that's correct. Yeah. Sorry. May- I, I don't know. They're, I'm sure they have actual birthdays we could look up, but I'm not going to do that right now. Anyway... Um, and, and, yeah, so, and, and so Roger making a pass at Betty is kind of like, you know, his attempt to recapture mm-hmm. that youth, um, and his sort of weird one-on-midship with Don. Um, you know, he, he kind of belittles Don during the dinner, and he's like, ah, you drop your G's, you know, I thought you would swim in a swimming hole, um, when they talk about swimming, night swimming, things like that. And yeah, Roger reminisces about night swimming as a child, um, he talks about the glory that his father had in World War One because he had a B-5 bayonet instead of just a rifle. Um, he, he, he sort of projects onto Kennedy as this privileged boy who's too scared to do anything but go on vacation. Um, there's a lot of that yeah. uh, going on. And, yeah, I'm just kind of going all over the place here. But, uh, you know, it's, it's very clear, too, when, when, when they're going up the, the, the stairs, right? Like, you know... He knows that he's he's washed. He knows yeah. that like Don is in better health and, and, and stronger basically and Roger is old and so he can't really handle doing that. So when he pretends to drop the the, the tie clip, he's really just taking a breather, but he doesn't want to show any sign of weakness. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's also um, I mean, even though they appear to have eaten and drinking the same amount I feel like Don played him at some point in the in the lunch beforehand, mm-hmm. and it's like he's also just been outwitted, mm-hmm. um, and that's like that he like lost his sharpness there. Mm-hmm. Um, with Betty, it's like um, when you hear her talking to Francine about like oh I, like when men look at me like I feel like I'm earning my keep. It's the words of someone who clearly doesn't do a lot of introspective work. Mm-hmm. She hasn't built maturity in that way, um, and it's like oh, I'm married because I'm pretty, so that's what I do. It's not like I'm interesting, I'm smart, I'm funny, like, stuff like that. Um, 
And the fact that it's, like, it's very just, like, base-level gossip between her and, her and Francine. Because Francine even came over to discuss what happened in the supermarket. And it mm-hmm. wasn't, like, how are you feeling? What's up? It's just, like, I heard you yeah. made a scene. They're very clicky. Yeah, they're very clicky. Because mm-hmm. they, they say, like, well, we'll exclude Helen from everything. Now. Yeah. She's, she's out of the club. Yeah. Um, and then Pete, too, he has this false sense of confidence when he buys the twenty two caliber. And he's just like, look how cool I am. And then you see him at home being reprimanded by Trudy. In a really bad ADR scene. <laughs> yeah, I really hate It's the very scene. clear that uh, Alison Brie couldn't be on set and they had to give her a voiceover. Yeah, so he, all you see is... Um, it feels like a Peanuts. I, I said this to Michael. <laughs> it feels like the Peanuts when um, the you never see the adults and you just hear like, wah, 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 you know? It's like uh, Pete's just sitting there on the couch looking sad. And you hear Trudy's voice, and like, I can't believe you did that. That was a present from my aunt. So he's being very emasculated. Yeah, and, and she actually says, you're always telling me to grow up. Yeah. Um, you know, you're acting like a child, I think is almost your exact words. Um, yeah. And I think Pete literally does say boys will be boys when he's showing off the rifle. Probably. Um, That's yeah. a Pete thing to do. And and the conversation about Nixon and Kennedy is also very loaded with these these sort of aged stuff right um you know cooper says remind me not to hire any young more young people when Pete points out the similarities between kennedy and elvis even though he's right kennedy ends up winning the election um and partly because he's young and charismatic and handsome uh and and roger you know sort of tries to to undermine the authority and autonomy of the younger employees he's like you know, he, once Pete says that, Roger says, like, can we get some of the adults to weigh in? Um, he says, kids, do you want to write this down or should I call a girl in? Um, you know, a lot of language in this around calling people kids, basically mm-hmm. referring to them as children, which in and of itself is kind of immature because it's an attempt to... Be little people. Be little people, um, which is a very childish impulse. Yeah. And even I see that with um, Don when he says to Betty, sometimes I feel like I'm living with a child. Those are words clearly taken from the therapist. Right, right. I don't think Don came to that conclusion or that feeling on his own. Mm-hmm. It's very much just like, it's like mimicking what your, par- like your yeah. parents say. When, yeah. like, you know, I remember when I was in... Um, I don't know. I was young. But like, when was um, the George versus George W. Bush election? Well, the one you would have remembered is probably 2004. Yeah, so <laughs> I was young for that. And I remember, like, because it was a presidential election, kids at school were talking about it, and people would have voted for whoever right. their parents were voting for. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what I thought of was just, mm-hmm. oh, the therapist said that, so, like, I'm going to, like, spit it right, back right. out. Yeah. 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 No, yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Just kind of repeating what you know because yeah. you don't because you don't know any better right because yeah, you yeah. don't you don't have that knowledge base or experience to make a, an actual proper decision um yeah a- anything else about immaturity around this episode i feel like we kind of i feel like we hit on most of it let me just do a little mental sweep those are the main scenes yeah the one thing i will have and this is a bit of like a a, a bit of a foreshadowing point but i'm not going to give anything away is that um Pete trying to the, 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 there's there's 
throughout the series, there's this theme of Pete trying to be an entertainer, like like not mm-hmm. an entertaining person, but like to actually bring people to his house and entertain them. Mm-hmm. And you get sort of the first hint of that with the chip and dip, which mm-hmm. is like, ah, oh, you have you have your friends over, you have your chip, you have your dip, and you know, the chip goes here, the dip goes there. And he says, like, so you have two hands free. <laughs> well, like you're, one of your hands can all drink or something. Um, and throughout the rest of the series, he'll try to get people to come to his house and come over. And there is one episode where he does end up hosting people. Um, and that's a really, like, adult thing, right? Yeah. Is that the chip and dip is an adult thing to own. Because, yeah. like, what, what bachelor is going to own something like that? And the idea of having over people to your house and not just kind of, like, throwing stuff in a bowl or whatever. Yeah. You know, is an adult thing. He, and, and I think in, in some respects, among young men, I think adulthood is considered feminizing in a way, mm-hmm. because you're living with a woman, you know, you, you're going to have more sort of things associated with femininity in your house. Mm-hmm. And we even see uh, that, that kind of clash with Dawn. Um, in an earlier episode, the one where Helen Bishop was introduced, when he, when he goes to clean his hands and, and after building the, the playhouse, and it's very pink and frilly in there, and he doesn't really feel um, welcome. So it's, yeah, it's he's just like, what thing. do I do Yeah, now? He, he doesn't know what to do. Um, and the chip and dip itself is, I think it's a tomato, is where you put the dip, <laughs> yeah. and they're, like the bowl around it are leaves, so it's even, like, that is frilly and artistic, right, right. and it's not something that a bachelor would be like, yeah, yeah. that's pretty dope, man. Yeah. 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 And and the uh, they say as they leave, it's like, oh, we'll see if there's a grasshopper at the bar for you, Mildred. Mm-hmm. Referring to sort of like the the green fruity drink, yeah. I guess is like a girl drink. It's funny in in the in the Madman Carousel book, they actually like figured out like what model of chip and dip it is. Oh, really? Yeah, that's funny. Um, I forget, what, but there's like some like modern artist who was like, or not modern artist, like some contemporary artist who was like known for making like household, um, like. Not appliances, but just things. Yeah. And I guess that was who they used to... to like, that's who's chip and tip they used. That's the funny. Um, okay, let's move on to our awards. Yay! Um, first award is the Pete Memorial... Pete Campbell Memorial Worst of the Week. Um, doesn't make sense to call it the Worst of the Week since it's not like a weekly podcast. But these episodes aired weekly. Um, who who gets your award for worst? Roger. Yeah. 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 Um... He hits on Don's wife, and like basically in front of Don. Right, basically in front of Don. He's he's like it's not he's not just like making like Ryan Mark. He's actually like grabbing her. And yeah. Stuff. Um, and he's very much you know forcing something that's really not there. Also, he drives drunk. Yes, he does drive. And drunk. kids, yes, not safe. No, don't do that. There's a lot of driving drunk in the show. Yeah. Um, he does that. He Igley says very belittling in the Nixon meeting. Um, he really doesn't seem to care the fact about the fact that his mother-in-law fell down the stairs. Um, not not a it, it's you know it's one of those classic Mad Men dilemmas where John Slattery is the most entertaining actor of anyone on the show, which makes Roger Stone a guy you just want to watch on screen, but he's completely despicable. <laughs> so yeah, I love him so much. Well, speaking of Roger, it's not time for a Roger Sterling memorial best quote of the week um but i have this goes back to when pete's trying to butt into the conversation i I, I had two not two two potential ones that one with this one where pete's trying to butt in the conversation with uh between don and roger um and pete goes oh you're talking he says something like oh what are you talking about and roger goes 
<clears throat> Don and <laughs> Roger goes, Don and I talk all the time when you're not around. In fact, we're going to do it right now. And Pete goes, well, good night, boys. And Roger goes, good night, Paul. Yeah, yeah that was the one. <laughs> my, yeah. My, my runner-up was when, uh, uh, when Bird tells, Bird, Bird's talking to Roger and Roger's smoking. He goes, you know, you know, during, during, you know, Munich when, when Chamberlain gave the Sudetenland to, to Hitler, like, Hitler's negotiating strategy was to make sure that Chamberlain couldn't smoke. So he'd go crazy and just kind of like cave for whatever Hitler demanded. And Roger goes, all I'm hearing is that Hitler didn't smoke and I do. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like another really pretty great one. Okay. Move on now to foreshadowing. Okay. Foreshadowing. Right, real quick. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like it wasn't a huge episode of foreshadowing that I noticed, so I'm interested to see what you pulled out. Um, I would say tension between Pete and Trudy. Um, Glenn comes back. Yeah. Um, we never shake Glenn, unfortunately. No. I was. This is an aside, but I I was this podcast that I don't listen to. But that was like hosted on a website that I that I follow on Twitter. Um, they did like a thing where it's like, who's like your top five least favorite TV characters? And I'm not a person who like hates TV characters mm-hmm. outside of like the Pete Campbell kind of hate. We're supposed to hate that. Yeah. I'm not someone who's like, oh my god, like screw this. Some people like really get annoyed by like characters and just think they're a waste of time. I think Glenn would be on my list. Yeah, now. yeah. Because partly because the guy's just a bad actor, yeah. and partly because. Uh, He's he's like shoehorned in a lot. He is, yeah. Yeah. Probably something to do with the fact that he's played by Anthony Weiner's son, but oh well. Oh, um, I don't know. What what are you thinking? Drop my memory. This is the first episode in which we meet Joan's roommate, Carol. Oh um, yeah, I thought about Carol. She and Joan will be going away for the weekend, and Carol meets Roger, and is clearly taken aback by Roger, and perhaps feels threatened between Lar- about Roger and Joan's relationship. Considering that later on, I think this season, I think it's this season, Carol will confess her love for Joan. It's uh, pretty intense. Yes, this it, gets, the, it gets dropped real quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this is the episode. First episode, we see Peggy working on copywriting, mm-hmm. and she talks about how she's gonna be staying late for work. Um, she stays late for work a lot. Yes, she does, and that becomes a big you know, the premise of some of the best episodes of the series later on. Um, I mean, sorry, Pete continues to, like, hit on Peggy. Yeah. Well, yes, and then so we once once Pete does this whole little monologue about the bear, um, Peggy gets up to get food, and, and she's getting a lot of food, perhaps the first time that she's actually pregnant with Pete's child, mm. who was conceived at the end of the first episode, presumably. Um, Roger discusses the glow of pure youth that the two women they're looking at in the bar, says something is that women lose something once they turn 30, Roger will end up leaving Mona for Don's much younger secretary, Jane Siegel. Um, and an ironic twist will end up le- leaving Jane Siegel, or Jane Siegel will end up leaving him, and then he'll end up with a woman his own age. Megan's mm-hmm. um, mother, whose name escapes me. It's French. Yeah, it's some kind of French name. Uh, 
Betty says that Don never talks about the war. Well, we don't really know why he doesn't talk about the war yet, but it turns out it's because he's not actually Don Draper. He's Dick Whitman, and he's act he's he accidentally killed his CEO, who was actually Don Draper. And that's why I didn't talk about the war, because he could get arrested if he talks too much about it. <laughs> um, Roger mentions that Mona has a little calorie book on their refrigerator. Betty says, oh, she probably just wants to look good for you. You know, I was pudgy as a girl. Betty will undergo a dramatic weight gain throughout, uh, not throughout, but yeah, around like season four or five. I think five. Yeah, season five. Um... Roger's discussing his military service, which took place in the Pacific, and he says, you know, the Pacific was all about gasoline, which sort of hints at the very car-heavy work mm -hmm. that Sterling Cooper Draper Price will do later in the series, and also about Roger's contempt for the Japanese, which comes to a head in the episode where they're courting Honda. Um, our first instance of drunk driving, yeah. Don will actually crash his car while he's drunk later in the series. Um... There is some mention of New Year's, I forget what, but the first episode of season six takes place, at least partly, on New Year's Eve into New Year's Day, when we find out that Don is actually cheating on Megan with their neighbor, played by Linda Cardellini. There is a lot more than I thought there was. There was a lot in here. I talked about Pete and entertaining. Pete, this is a really interesting one. One of the f the first person Pete points the gun at is Ken, and Ken freaks out. In the seventh season, Kate will be sh Ken will be shot in the face. Oh my God! You're and right. Lose an eye, um, which <laughs> prompts him to no longer work for yeah. uh, whatever car company. Yes, this General Motors. I think those yeah Chrysler, whoever. Um, American. They're American. Yeah. Well, it was in Detroit. Um, Pete says that it's going to be Kennedy. It would end up being Kennedy. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not a show thing that's just a world thing uh, when Roger orders the martinis at uh, the restaurant he and Don are at he says to go easy on the vermouth in one of the very last episodes of Mad Men um, when, when they're moving when they're moving from Sterling Cooper Draper Price and Sterling Cooper Draper Price uh, Color Gleason and Shaw at that point um they uh and, and Betty doesn't have like her her office yet. And and, and they're moving to McGann, mm -hmm. um or McCann, whatever it's called. Um Peggy and Roger are just kinda hanging out in the empty offices and they decide to get something to drink and Peggy goes, Would you drink vermouth? And he's like, Yeah, sure. Um And then this is our first instance of Betty Day drinking, which she'll do a lot of when she gets super depressed later in the series. I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay, I think that does it. Yeah, I, I feel like it. we covered a lot of ground. Any any final thoughts about no, this episode? No, I like this one. I feel like this is kind of one of the episodes that I got, made me get excited about the series. Mm -hmm. It's definitely an episode... I think it's the episode where they have the most fun with the premise, actually, mm -hmm. because they sort of like literally pepped a three martini lunch, mm -hmm. um, and and it's where like the excess literally becomes so much that someone ends up throwing up. It's kind of like there's a show called uh, The Thick of It, which is actually what sort of like Veep is based off of, but it takes place in the UK, which is where the guy invented Veep was from. 
and it's and and it, it's you know so it's like a very like hostile as a comedy but the people are like very hostile and like mm-hmm. very angry at each other and in one episode one character finally punches another in the face we were just like this is a logical conclusion to like the tenor of what's happening here and i feel like that's how i felt about seeing roger throw up the yeah. first time where it's like this was bound to happen eventually yeah. someone was bound to make a fool of themselves by being too drunk at the office yeah it's good stuff all right well thanks so much for listening to a thing like that um you can find me on Twitter at mlevito and on Letterbox at Ameramike. You can find me on Instagram at Rise to the Sun. And we both host another podcast with my roommate called The Real Lights Oscar Challenge, where we watch every Oscar Best Picture nominated movie of our lifetimes. Um, we also contribute to a website called The Post Rider. You can read our stuff on there. Follow us on Twitter. I was going to say Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. Follow and the post writer on Twitter. Follow us on Spotify. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts. Um, rate and review. Real podcasts say that, so you should definitely do that. Five stars only. Five stars. We don't only. want any of your less than five stars yeah. bullshit. No negative. We know what we're worth. Positively only. Even if you don't like our podcast, rate it five rate stars five and leave at, a negative review. Yes. People will get really confused, and they'll have to listen. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, um, but thanks so much for listening. I'm still real bad at ending podcasts. Uh, Don't drink and drive, kids.